I learned early on that you fight the fights you can win. If you think big and you allow yourself to think big and you believe in your thoughts and you believe in your abilities and yourself, there is no way that you will not do well. Welcome back to the Look for Strength podcast, where we share exceptional stories from exceptional individuals around the world for exceptional listeners. I'm Amay Look, and I'm your host. Today, I'll be back with Alex Awumi, professional basketball player, coach, and author. In this podcast, you'll hear about how he escaped Libya during the Libyan Civil War, how his relationship with basketball changed, and how he told the story of those who helped save his life along the way. Tune into part one to hear the first part of his story. I'll jump right in. And then where did you go when you did leave your apartment? Um, so eventually, I um, there was a way out for me, right? So I went to my team president's office, which was realistically like a half a mile down the road, right? And um, he had a plan for us to get out, had a Libyan driver for us. Um, us, I'm saying me and my teammate Mustafa, um, who was from Senegal, but lived on the other side of town. Um, so that was the plan to eventually get to Egypt, to the refugee camp, they called it. Um, and, you know, they were honest. They were like, listen, this is not going to be like you get in a car, you just going down the highway, you're going to be fine. Like, you know, there might be rebels on the road. So you guys are taking a risk here. So, you know, I mean, I was like, anything's better than sitting up in that apartment. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, and like anything's better. I actually have to, I have to try. Like, you know, I'm not from here. Like, I have to get back to my family. For me, it was just like, I'm a basketball player. I didn't like, this is not my problem. Like, yeah. I have to, like, I have to get home. So, you know, we took that risk and um, we eventually, you know, a six hour drive to, from Benghazi to Saloum, Egypt. Um, turned into like realistically like almost 11, 12 hours, right? Because of checkpoints, we were pulled out of our car, we were searched, our luggage were searched. I don't know how many times I literally had to like, with my my clothes were taken out of my luggage to search it. And I had literally had to put it back in my bags yeah. like every hour and a half, right? Checkpoints, check, you know, and then I'm driving and speak English. So it was like, we had to trust him to, <laughs> kind of like fix the situation and tell people hey listen these guys just athletes they just want to go home <laughs> like you yeah. know um eventually we made it to uh Saloum, egypt to the refugee camp and yeah and that was our next stop wow and did you think uh you'd be treated differently as an american or like that they knew you were an american or did you feel like they just kind of saw you as as another person another body there or even a threat. Yeah, well, you know, as a as an arrogant American at the time, I was young and very arrogant. I thought I had like you know, easy pass to like, yeah, I'm good. Like you know, we're gonna take care of him. That wasn't the case, right? That wasn't the case. And the thing about when I was in Libya was, I was in the country on my Nigerian passport, so I was playing in the league as a Nigerian player because you could only play in the league as an if you had like African national nationalist right 
So my visas were on my Nigerian passport. Um, my player certificate was on my Nigerian passport. So this is what I had to show. Like, mm -hmm. hey, like I have a right to be here type thing. Look, I, you know, I paid for it. I'm contracted under this team. Um, and then when I got to the refugee camp, you know, I showed them this and they ba basically was like, just go with your, you know, they kind of lump you in your countries. Nigerians go on Nigerians. My friend Mustafa, Senegalese, you got to be with your people. It was crazy. They just segregated us. Um, and then I said, you know, I pulled out my American passport. Like, listen, I'm an American citizen. I need to get out of here. They didn't care. They didn't care. They didn't care. And, you know, I was a little arrogant. You know, I was yelling at the police. And then they drew guns on me. And then they put me in a, you know, in a prison cell for a couple hours in the dark. Um, basically trying to teach me a lesson. Um, I'm like, listen, my lesson was learned in the first five minutes. Get me out of here. Yeah. Like, you know, um, yeah, but, you know, I, I take a lot of the blame on that. Me coming in yelling. I get it. Like, you have to understand, like, I'm a kid that's not from them. I'm distraught. I'm away from my family. Um, I just saw some of the, you know, the most horrible things I could see in my life. Of course, I'm going to be that way. Right. And then when I have a clear runway to kind of get home, I'm in Egypt. I just want to get to Cairo and get on a plane and get back. Um, I have I have to run into another roadblock. You know, so it was like, I just was tired of running the roadblocks. Like it was just literally like physically and emotionally beating me down. Like, yeah. and I just got to my boiling point and, you know, some worse things could have happened, but eventually it didn't. And you were kind of beat down to this, this boiling point, as you said, um, and how did that change you and change the way that you reacted to situations as you were under so much stress and pressure and trauma? Well, you know, I had to pray a lot. You know, I, you know, I was raised in the church, right? Um, but my parents, so I had to practice a lot of patience. I had to pray a lot, right? Because I knew that eventually, you know, when I was sitting in the refugee camp, I knew eventually I was telling myself, like, how, how would I, how would I live the rest of my life, right? Like, this is like a drastic change. Like, you know, some people go through things like this and the depression leads to suicide, right? The depression leads to, you know, how could I go on in life? How could I start a family with somebody when I have all this past trauma with me? So I was literally thinking about that. I was 26 years old and I was thinking about that, like, wow, like my life is really about to change. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know how I'm going to react to like my mom telling me to take out the trash. Like, you know, like, you know, or like my little sister just having just a family dispute with me. Like, I don't, I, like, you know, that person is dead. Like that person, like they knew before that is dead because I have to like kind of, you know, I have to kind of like manage this new trauma. Like, you know, I want to start a family. What's going to happen if I have daughters? And, you know, it was just a lot of this thing was going through my mind. And I was like, you know, I have a new life. And, it, it, you know, this is something I was like, you know, I'm going to have to explain to my family, like, I have to be, you know, I have to practice patience. I'm not going to be there mentally for a lot of things because I have this trauma that I have to deal with. Like, you know, basically it was like a big cry for help, right? Um, so a lot of patience, a lot of prayer, and just realizing that, you know, my life after that was not going to be the same. So I had to come to grips with that. And that was really hard. That was really, really hard for me. Um, because I was always this young, energetic guy. I was like, kind of like, not necessarily class clown, but I was like the leader of my group. 
And, you know, I just wanted to focus on me. And it took years and years and years <laughs> for me to actually say, hey, you know, I feel like I'm comfortable dealing with like my past traumas or I'm comfortable with just, hey, man, you know, I just want to be left alone for a couple of days type thing, you know? Um, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. Did it also um, impact your coaching style at all and, and your playing style even? Yes, it did. It did. It impacted it. It was a drastic change, right? Um, I was more emotional as a player. Um, I've always been crazy in a sense, like I'm always trying to chase perfection, even though I know it's impossible. So I'm just trying to get there. Um, but I became like more, like more manic, crazy. I, you know, I was, I was not a good teammate. I could actually say that for years. Like, you know, I was not a good teammate because I held I was holding all of this. Um, you know, there was situations and times where, you know, as a player, there were a lot of things I could have done different, right? Um, I'm the type of player, I'm, you know, I'm a leader on the court. I'm going to yell at you if I feel like you did something wrong, but I'm going to hold myself accountable first. It starts with me. Um, and at times I wasn't doing that. Like my first, like two or three years after I came from Libya, it was very hard. I, it was hard for me to lead. It was hard for my teammates to kind of deal with me. And, you know, there was a lot of times I would apologize to them and they understood I was coming from something crazy and they could, just couldn't imagine. Um, coaching wise, um, the reason why coaching helped me was because it taught me patience, right? And, you know, I kind of, I kind of, um, I have to kind of credit Tassis for a lot of this because, you know, I, I kind of pop into this American school that my fiance was coaching at. I come in as like a guest coach and I see like, I started coaching kids, like middle school kids. And I saw they were so happy for me to be there. Like, I felt like, you know, coaching adults is different. Like, they're like, you know what? You know, I'm a, I, I'm already good enough. I don't really need to coach. But when kids are looking at you like, hey, I need you to, to direct me. That was something that was like, it was like therapeutic to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? I used to tell yeah. them the, the administrators of Tassis this all the time. I was like, listen, I enjoy coming here. <laughs> like, I enjoy these kids. Like, you know, I, mean? I enjoy watching them goof around and mess up. And then I could kind of get serious with them. Hey, you know, smarten up, let's go, let's, you know what I mean? It was therapeutic to me to see those type of, you know, to see that, but like, see like 11, 12 year old kids look at me like, hey coach, I need help in doing this. Like I wasn't, you know, I had never had, had that happen to me before. Yeah. All right. Um, I was, you know, I was aggressive. You know, you, your brother knows I was kind of very aggressive with him because I could see, when I see potential in kids and I see like, hey, I've made a lot of the mistakes at your age that I don't want you to make. So I'm literally giving you the blueprint <laughs> on how to avoid those mistakes. Cause I made them like, I made yeah. a lot of them. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I, my coaching style was more approached that way, but I use this as, I use it as therapy. Like, you know, I think, you know, it was a blessing for me to actually walk into that, to be able to coach kids. And to be honest with you, that was the first time I was, I ever had coached kids. I usually was coaching like adults or grown men or had to be like a coach for my team like a coach administrator but yeah like when I walked into it I was just like I said I would never coach like adults ever again like you know because I like this is my sweet spot I get this I get to see an 11 year old kid and then I get to be part of his development and then as he gets older 
I could see the things that I've taught him in him that he's using those things. And for me, that was just amazing. <laughs> like, you know, it was like the, you know, the greatest form of therapy. Like, you know what I mean? And you get to see, you get to see the kids happy. Um, you get to see them improving, whether small improvements, big improvements. But, you know, it, it, seeing the kids happy kind of made it easier for me as far as like day-to-day things, as far as basketball. Yeah, and because you're making such a big impact on their life and they really, really look up to you and your experience as you've played professionally. And yeah. a lot of them might think, oh, that's that, that would be a really cool thing to do. So, yeah, yeah. And, and kids, I think they also have rose-colored glasses on all the time. So anything that you say, they'll like absorb it and they'll, they'll listen. Whereas sometimes I think adults tend to be more skeptical or like um, not yeah. as receptive to advice because they've they think that they know more because they're adults but kids are just so like they're sponges right yeah yeah that's that and that is a great way to put it and that helped me like you know everything I was telling them they just did <laughs> like you know what I, was <laughs> like, I was like I'm not really used to this you know adults are just like you know what this other guy taught me this way I'm just like yeah listen. <laughs> it's like whatever do that whatever way you want like you know but you know coaching kids I you know I was telling my fiance I was like you know that was like my that's like my sweet spot like you know you know I'll do for free like you know it wasn't even about the money it was about I just love being here you know I love interacting with the kids I love interacting with their parents like when a parent walks up to me and say hey listen such and such was talking about you all night after homework or at the dinner table I was like you know that kind of makes me feel good that I'm I have an impact on this kid's life you know during like recreation activities or, you know, there's a kid that comes in that's not really social. And I like to bring him into a group to make him feel comfortable within that social group. So that's how I really looked at it, to be honest with you. Yeah. And um, when did you decide to write your book, uh, Gaddafi's Point Guard? Oh, so, yeah. So, you know, I tell people all the time I didn't want to write the book, I, you know, because when you when something bad happens, you try to run away from it. You're trying to just kind of let me just get away from this. Um, but I had a talk with my mom. Um, we were just talking and she was asking me questions. Whatever happened to this guy that drove you? Whatever happened to that guy in the story? Whatever happened to your coach? And I was just like, I don't know. Like, you know, I hope they're okay. But she was like, well, who's going to tell this story? And I was just like, and it hit me. I was like, wow. Like, you know, it, I was like, she got a point there. Like, you know, there were a lot of people. The story is the book of Duffy's point on is about is about me but necessarily it's about the people that came together to kind of get this young fragile kid back to his family right and those people consisted of christians they were muslims <laughs> they were from different countries they love they were different colors right so you have all these people within the world that were different from me that said you know what well, let's help that kid out right and and, you know, my, one of my, actually one of my best friends, right, I grew up with, he was like my first friend when I moved to America, his name is Ryan Giddy, Ryan Giddy, we call him Bubba, he worked in LA, he worked in Hollywood, he's a hustler, he, worked on, he was working at Warner Brothers at the time, and I did, um, I did an article with ESPN, a lady named Dana O'Neill, who's like a senior writer at ESPN now. Um, I knew her from college because she did a, like a small piece on me in college when I was at Alcorn State, Mississippi. And I reached out to her. I said, hey, you know what? You know, this might not be a, a, a book, but I want to tell the story of what I've been going through. And I've been going through some things. And I had a personal relationship with her. So she wrote this big article and it was on like the front cover on ESPN, the website. It was in ESPN, the magazine. 
And then my best friend saw it as I posted on Facebook. And he was like, listen, I know we haven't talked for two or three years. Um, you know, life happens. Like, you know, I'm traveling the world. You know, he's trying to figure out his life. And he said, listen, I work at Warner Brothers. And I literally just sent the article to like three execs and they want to meet you. So I'm like, I'm like, bro, <laughs> I'm wow. like, I just got, I'm like, I just got back, bro. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, I was getting calls from everywhere. Like the, the head of NBC, his daughter reached out to me. She reached out to my basketball agent and he forwarded me the email like, yo, this lady's looking for you. And they kind of just wanted to buy the rights outright. So I was like, yo, this is just happening too fast. So I said, you know, I'll take a free trip to LA. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> was like, you know, it was like August. I was like, I'll go, I'll go down there for a weekend. The weekend turned into two weeks. It was crazy. I was on every major studio lot. It was like, it was like a free-for-all. And then um, we had like a manager that was kind of like taking us there, like, you know, shop, not necessarily shopping us around, setting up meetings for us. And then one day we were sitting on the Warner Brothers lot, just like, literally like we were right by the, you know, where they were filming Batman. So I was like, oh, this is dope. Like the Batcave. We, we were just on a lot and like Kristen Bale, like all these actors are walking by us. So we're just having like a, we huddled up, had like a small meeting. And then um, I go, guys, what about a book? And they didn't look at me and I was like, a book? I was like, do you think, I was like, you guys got connections where I could turn this into a book? Like you have any literary agents? Cause you know, I love to write. I'm a, like, I always wanted to be a writer myself. I always wanted to be a novice. And one of the managers, it clicked. He was like, I'll get you, I'll get you a literary, I'll get you on the phone with a literary agent right now. Got on the phone with him. We're on the Warner Brothers lot, right in front of the Batcave, in front of the set. Like literally, wow. in my plan, like I talked to this agent, his name was Alex Glass. And he was like, listen, I already know your story. He was like, let's set up a meeting. Um, next day, set up a meeting. Um, and then <laughs> literally like a week later, I had a book contract in front of me. <laughs> I had a big con book contract in front of me. It was, it was, it literally happened all that quick. And I was just like, I just came here to like kind of see my best friend, maybe go to the beach, <laughs> eat some tacos. Like, you know what I mean? I just, you know, I just wanted to see the movie studios where things get made. And, you know, I was, I was in front of the, the, the producer that did Gladiator. I was sitting down with Will Smith and his production company. I was, you know, with Brad Pitt's production company, Appy and Wade, Leonardo DiCaprio's the production company. I was like, I was just literally at home hanging out. I was like, this is happening way too fast. So I said, you know, the first step would be the book, right? I want to slow everything down. I'm going to focus on a book for a year. So focus on a book, writing a book, getting the book out 2013. It came out October, October uh, 3rd, 2013. And then, you know, the book was really like an oath to the people that helped me within the journey like I did you know I didn't want it to be and I, I can't I told the 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 publisher company listen this is not going to be a book about a kid from Africa who you know was raised by some good parents who kind of made it through basketball I said this book has to highlight these people my dad my my upbringing you know my upbringing as a, as a youth but like my coach in Egypt his story he went through a lot the driver who risked his life <laughs> I, like I've seen AK-47s put in his face every hour. My friend Mustafa, who was a big part, you know, who actually passed away. Um, me and then my other teammates within the story in Libya who went to go fight. And a lot of them died. So like those have to be important unless I can't write this. 
I'm just not gonna, this is not gonna be about me or how I kind of triumph through this journey. That's not what it's gonna be about. It's gonna be about them, their story as well as mine. And they agreed to it. And they were like, listen, just, you know, write up some pages, we'll get some editors. And it worked out. It's a fantastic book and it's so highly detailed with so many different sport stories and anecdotes and experiences that I highly recommend um, my listeners to read <laughs> it because we talked about a few stories in, in the podcast here, but there are just like every single chapter is so, so full of just interesting stories and, and incredible things that happened. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's a great, it's a, it's a great book. It's a great book. I do recommend a lot of people to read it. Um, and people all over the world reach out to me via Facebook. I mean, like, literally on a weekly basis, like, hey, I can't wait to meet you one day. I want you to sign my book. I mean, it's been happening for like the last 10 years. Right. And I, yeah, and yeah, next year would be the 10 year anniversary of the book. And, you know, we're going to try to do something big for it. So we'll see. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Alex, for for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I really appreciate you taking the time and and sharing and everything with my listeners. It's such a an incredible and um, and really powerful story. I really thank you for for sharing it. No problem. Thank you, Amy. It was great. Uh, thank you for having me. This was great. I got I got a lot of stuff off my chest, <laughs> and um, yeah. Hopefully, everybody enjoys it. Thank you. Thank you. And that's the end of our interview with Alex Uwumi, professional basketball player and author of the book, Gaddafi's Point Guard. I hope you enjoyed and thank you so much for listening. I'll see you soon.